Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Anders Brownlee. I'm Scott Barstow. And you're listening to 353rd. And you're also listening to Switchfoot, Mess With Me, as our intro music there. Hey, Scott, what's going on? How are things? Things are great, Anders. How about you? Excellent. Chilling out here in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, Scott is down there in uh, North Carolina. And we are, uh, we're talking over Skype. We're just talking about uh, how we actually record this show. Uh, which use Skype and a call recorder spits out files. It's pretty cool. Um, if you don't know about it, check it out. Um, so we were gonna we were gonna launch into talking about uh, TV, but I have a I have a side step as always. Right. Oh, do, at the very beginning. do we want to? Uh, what do we want to cover and rewind? Uh, we like to take oh, yeah. the first five or so minutes and then. How could I forget and, that? I don't know. What did That's we talk just, about last time? Uh, well, last time we talked uh, we talked a lot about Monsanto. Yes. Um, we talked about the Microsoft stores, yeah. uh, which was a very lively discussion with our with our ghost third person participating, and um, <clears throat> and uh, so yeah, that was a. I felt like that uh, we covered some pretty interesting topics. I think uh, obviously the big news uh, this week is no doubt that Microsoft has bought Skype. Yes, and so what are your uh, what are your thoughts on that, Anders? I know you uh, you're heavily involved in telecom still. Uh, we obviously know that Skype was bought one time before, and everybody thought that the price that was paid at that time was was exorbitant. And it seems like we've gone back down that road again with uh, Microsoft paying eight and a half billion dollars. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Absolutely crazy. So uh, I stand uh, I stand corrected on this. I was telling friends of mine that you know people are absolutely ridiculous to think that the Skype deal back when eBay bought them was a good deal. It, it was crazy. I, I still think it's crazy. But then when you go along and, and, you know, the next company steps up, Microsoft with, you know, more than twice the, the number, uh, you have to look back and say, you know, that was a good deal for eBay. They it certainly was. I don't think they ever, it ever became what what it was that they acquired it for. Um, but it's, uh, and just in terms of raw financial, it's hard for me to believe that they didn't make out pretty well on that deal. Yeah, I think the estimate was uh, 20%, uh, 40% actually on their money uh, nice. that they put in, which is not a bad chunk of change. So I guess the uh, the, the takeaway there is if you, if you d- make a dumb move, it's totally cool as long as a dumber move follows. <laughs> That's the way I see this. I mean, you know, it seems like a land grab, but, you know, it was a land grab with, with uh, Skype, too, and maybe some other company will come and snap it up. I doubt it. But yeah, I, th- I think this is probably the end of the road uh, in terms of people buying Skype, and I think the... The thing that's uh, that's sad to me is that if it goes the the road of <clears throat> other Microsoft acquisitions, uh, there are other big acquisitions. I think Skype um, has the potential to become less relevant rather than more relevant. Yeah. Uh, so, which is which is a shame. Yeah. The, so, the closing words I have are Skype out. Yeah, I would have rather I would have rather seen. Uh, I know that they were in talks with Facebook. I would have rather seen it go that direction. I think they would have taken it and just gone gangbusters with it. But, yeah. They'll probably but, make their own technology, I would guess. Yep, I'm sure that's. I'm sure that that, uh, that from what I can tell, it was an 11th hour. Microsoft stepped in at the 11th hour, um, and so Facebook, I'm sure, is uh, is re- is prepared to step up and do their own thing. Yeah, I mean, they're not looking for the users; they have the users. So, yep. I it's less interesting, I think, for Facebook. But anyway, we'll see what happens. It'll be very interesting. Yep. Yeah. Any any other news that uh, that you felt like was was interesting over the last week? Not uh, over the last to... week. I got to say though, the the thing that's actually going on right now as we record is uh, Google I/O. 
Um, and, and that's very interesting, especially as we, uh, we decided to talk about TV in this uh, show, because they're, they're talking about uh, their new additions to Google TV and, and whatnot, um, which can uh, sort of launch me down my, my uh, sort of my, my uh, you know, talk here. The, the music uh, used to be back, you know, back in the day, you know, you grew up in the 60s, music is what you listened to. Music was what you collected, it was like, that was the thing. And, and as you grow older, you know, 70s, 80s, whatever, if you're born, you know, grew up in the 60s, you're collecting music, that's your thing. Uh, if you grew up in the 70s, I guess, you know, you're collecting uh, blockbuster movies because that's when the blockbusters kind of came out and you're nostalgic about that. And when you stroll down Amnesia Lane, it's the blo- it's like movies, you know, you kind of remember your, your childhood or whatever it is. And then I thought it was interesting with the 80s, I think the, 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 the stand in there is games um, you, because you can get music and you can get movies but those old games you know you got to get you got to cobble together some kind of emulator or whatever and there's this whole retro fad you've seen uh, i don't know if you've seen specter for the ipad uh, i haven't but uh, i'll tell you there's people that spend you know people go out and buy these old pac-man machines or right defender machines and uh, i mean it's vintage stuff now for thousands of dollars yeah it's very hard to get yeah and and so it's, they have become collector's eyes. And I think you're right. It's a, and uh, I know that I spent so much time in the arcade uh, yeah. when I was growing up and just, I'm uh, just wearing all of those games out. And, and it's, and I often, you know, my kids have never darkened the door of an arcade. Uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> Probably thankfully. I yeah. Would, yeah. That's I would right. Say. That's right. But yeah, that's, we, yeah, we've all got this, uh, you know, you, you and I grew up in the eighties really. And, and, uh, you know, there, there's just all this nostalgia. I'm, for me, it's Load Runner. This old—I don't know if you know this old game. Yeah. Whatever, loved it, loved it. Played the heck out of that one. I think I played all 255 levels, or 56 <laughs> levels, or whatever it was. I mean, that was a great game. Inspector loved it. It's out for the iPad right now. It's a couple of bucks or, or a buck, or I don't know what it is, but it's cheap and it's it plays just like the original. Uh, lots of fun. So I think that's like the 80s. Um, and and so my point is, I guess as more and more of these kind of different media things come out, I'm less and less focused on music. You know, for me, like Pandora and, you know, a couple of albums that I have, it's good enough. I like, I don't need to, I certainly wouldn't go to a record store, but that's not really where you buy music anymore. But I don't, you know, purposefully go to find a, uh, outside of U2 maybe, find a, a, a band and, and follow them and, you know, get up to the latest, greatest on everything they're doing. I used to do that, but I don't anymore. And I think it's because all these different areas keep kind of crunching down on you. Yeah, I, think that, I think that's part of it. I think the other part is that you're, the, the spectrum from which you can choose and listen to music is so much wider now than it was when we were growing up because the record companies had the stranglehold on who got released and who didn't. And I think now you've got um, you know, you've got lots more independent artists, you know, can push their way onto iTunes or whatever music service and get their music heard without it having to go, you know, be uh, printed on vinyl and, and you know, gone and shipped out to a record store. So I think in that way, um, just the distribution mechanism has had a great effect on, you know, I agree with you. I, there's very few I can think of in the last year I've probably bought um five uh artists music really um yeah that many I, huh yeah more and, than me and that and those have been 
uh, you know, things that were obscure that are hard to hear elsewhere or just people that I'm really interested in. And when I want to hear them, I want to hear them. Yeah. But for the most part, I'm fine with, you know, we'll, we'll crank up a different station on Pandora and just let it run. Yeah. And, and, and for me, that's as good. Uh, obviously it's way better than the radio and you get, uh, you get, uh, way more selection and you can you know you can seed it with music you're interested in yeah and, I, and it's just i don't really care who the artist is anymore uh not nearly as much as i used to yeah so so basically the the industry has flipped rather than there being a constraint on the the pipe to all the users i.e you know radio stations television stations now it's the opposite uh there's there's this fire hose to the users so now it's more about calling out and finding what you like. Uh, and I think Pandora steps up and does a real good job at this. And, and, you know, it just, you know, kind of inverts the whole, uh, you know, paradigm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, and you're exactly right. And I think it's the, like I said, I think you don't, at least for me, unless I hear a song that I just really, really like, I don't ever walk over to Pandora, you know, to the computer that's playing Pandora and say, well, who is that? Yeah. Um, I just don't really care. Yeah. I know that I know I'll hear it again at some yeah. point on and that if, station. And if you're near it, you you hit the the little, you know, uh, thumbs up button and you know more stuff like it comes up. So yep. that's yep. interesting. That's very interesting. Yep. Um so that brings us right to the the TV discussion. Um obviously television is is sort of the same in sort of the same uh you know inflection point and uh you've got well so first of all, it comes down to what is TV? Now obviously TV, there's a display. I break it up into three things. There's a display, there's a tuner, and then there's programming or content. Yep. So, so displays, and I don't know, I don't understand why they aren't the same business. Uh, computer monitors and HDTV displays or projectors, these are basically exactly the same thing. Um, you know. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, I think those, I don't know why there's even a distinction anymore yeah. um, between the technology because you get essentially the same things regardless of whether i buy you know an lcd monitor or an lcd tv there's yeah. the, it's just what's the difference yeah same difference same same technology i mean you know yeah. with a computer monitor it they they rarely if ever i don't know any that go over 30 inches yeah um maybe maybe there are a few but I, i'm unaware of them uh and the, the, there's much higher resolution hd tv displays I mean, 30 is the low end. I mean, it's usually 32, 45, you know, and up. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, you can get a 30, you know, you get a 30-inch LCD for 150 bucks yeah. or something like that. It's right, crazy. exactly. <laughs> Versus the, you know, 1000 bucks you'd spend on a 30-inch uh, computer monitor. Obviously, that has a lot to do with the resolution. Uh, so there still is a, a difference there. But, but you know, that there there is, because one is targeted at, pretty much size above everything and the other is targeted at screen real estate or pixels above everything else uh there there i think there is a difference um so back so, so let's go back to your uh, your so display yeah. is one tuner is tuner. another so tuner is interesting there's there's cable and satellite boxes which have terrible interfaces you'll notice a theme here uh, break things into two boxes and the other uh is uh, tivo which is a great interface but like terrible penetration because, you know, you get a cable box for free. Yep. Uh, so that's your tuner. That's the thing that pretty much brings you the content. They're broken apart because they used to be the same 
box. You know, it used to be a, a display and tuner was your TV. Uh, and then, and then programming. You have over the air. You have the um, uh, you have the over the air business model, and then you have the PBS, BBC. You know, kind of publicly funded model, and then you have the HBO, Showtime, whatever. And then you're having all kinds of, you know, YouTube's and whatever outside of that. Um, sort of the old people kind of meshing with the the new. Um, so I, that's how I break the the whole thing up, and I try to look at the what is TV across that, and I, you know, I have a, uh, you know, a, a guess as to why I don't think Apple will make a TV. You know, they make the Apple TV, and you know, Google makes the the Google TV, but it's not a TV. Neither right. of these things are a TV. So, right, they're really just content providers in your model. Right. Do you think they are just trying to? usurp the name TV and call it, uh, you know, tuner or tuner slash programming. You know, it's not a tuner. Okay. It's a content. I don't know what you call it there. It's not a display, right? They're no, just trying no. to pull that out of there. Um, yep. yeah. And I, I, that's an interesting question. And I don't, I don't, um, up until now I hadn't given it any thought. I think the, the, um, I think the notion of TV as we grow up with it, is is on its last legs this idea that you um you know everybody sits in front of the tv and that's where and we spend you know two or three hours a day there and that's where we get our entertainment those days um are quickly disappearing and you see that with uh with the the um with the equipment that people are starting to buy or i guess more accurate to say not buying anymore so there's yeah. uh, there's been a steady decline in what you and I would call the display piece of um, of TV. Yeah, and I think the reason for that, the obvious reason for that, is that displays are now come in many more flexible shapes and sizes. So if I can watch Netflix on my iPad or uh, any other device that I'm walking around with, uh, unless everybody is wanting to watch the same thing at the same time, I don't need uh, I don't need the big box with that everybody sits in front of anymore. And yeah. I think we're starting to see that trend uh, in all of the sales numbers across all of these uh, larger devices. I think people will still have them, but the notion of somebody having, you know, that probably the average American home has five TVs or something like that. I don't know what the number is, but it's certainly large. Uh, and I think the, like for us, we have one. And yeah. it's not, it's, it's more often that I will uh, sit and, you know, stream a Netflix movie to my iPad. I'll do that as much as I go and sit in front of the TV and watch it because I can sit in my, I can sit in my bed and be comfortable or I can sit somewhere else in the house where I can sit out on the deck or wherever it is. And I just, my TV goes with me. Yeah. Well, or my, or my content goes with me is probably a better way to say it using your three buckets. Yeah, exactly. So the con, so this brings up a, a good Point. I think there still is a use for a television in the living room, or, or a, sorry, I should say, a, a display device in the living room, because the the way I see it. So, so um, to paraphrase Jobs, uh, if you see a keyboard, they blew it. You know, with Google TV, right? You, you don't want to sit there with a keyboard and type, 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 and everybody, you see four other people in the room or whatever it is, they're all watching you type and saying, no, 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 go back, you screwed the, you messed that up, it's not right, or whatever, and you sit there typing and slowly, slowly, suddenly, you finally 
finish whatever you're typing, then the content shows up. That doesn't make sense. It makes much more sense to have the the UI that requires your your uh, your individual attention that nobody else would care about on a uh, device, you know, an Apple, uh, an iPad or whatever it happens to be. And then the dev- and then when you find what you, the content you want, then you push it up to a display device that many people can watch at the same time, which yep. turns the display into a content uh, uh, delivery device only, like a, um, you know, uh, consumption device, not a not anything to do with uh, creation. So anything having to do with creation, typing in a URL, whatever, you blew it if you're having to sit there and, and tap it out on some keyboard sitting on the, the arm of the sofa or whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. And nobody wants, I mean, I've been in, in homes where they've got, you know, the PC hooked up to the, to the, to the, to the display and, you know, you switch, to, you switch display modes to the PC and somebody sits there and pecks away. And uh, so I've seen that, and then I've been in homes where they have the Apple TV, and you know somebody sitting, a guy sitting there with his iPad, finding what he wants to watch, and says, you know, put it on this display. Yeah. Um, and so, which one would you rather have? There's no question. Essentially, the iPad becomes the content remote. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it's 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 it takes the place of the on-screen guide, or you know those common mechanisms you see in cable today. Yeah. So then, what is the future of the TV? That's a good question. I think, yeah, uh, if we if we knew the answer to that, we could uh, we could go be millionaires. Um, yeah, true. I, yeah, I think the <clears throat> for me, I think the future of TV is is individual um, individuals selecting what they want, and and the I think the idea of communal TV uh, is going to go away, with the exception of large events. Because yeah. there's so why would I sit and why would I sit and watch uh, you know a show that where I've got to sit through commercials or whatever those things are and everybody has to sit and watch the same thing because that's the only device we have or you know we can all uh, be kind of uh, watching what we want when we want uh, with the exception of live events obviously yeah. and. <clears throat> And watch it on the device that we so choose. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's just like we've seen. You know, it used to be if you if you take the the analogy from your uh, walk down memory lane in the '60s, everybody had you know one stereo in the house, and today everybody's got an iPod. Yeah. And so I think that's the the that to me is the analogy with TV is there's going to be it's going to be individual highly tailored. Uh, kinds of content uh, yeah. where where I pick and choose. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I, I I think the future of the TV is just to morph into something completely different. Uh, obviously, with my three buckets, the 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 second bucket or whatever the cable box is is kind of replaced by the net. Uh, obviously, we haven't talked about Netflix. More subscribers than Comcast. Comcast is a huge. A cable network in the U.S. and and uh, now Netflix uh, has more subscribers. I think this is emblematic of exactly what's going to uh, go down. Yeah, um, and I think you also see with the uh, with the I guess um, uh, gosh all almost all live sports programming is moving to cable networks now. Yeah. Um, and then those same cable networks are making that content available. So ESPN's got a yeah. watch ESPN iPad app. Yeah. And ESPN360.com so, has been around yep, for a couple of years. Been for, yeah, exactly. And so, 
if you if you look at the trends, I mean, almost all of the the major networks are getting out of big time athletics or big time sports. Yeah, and those are you know those are flowing to these more boutique networks or boutique boutique content providers, and those content providers are sent, are are uh, you know correctly making the bet that. People want to watch this stuff wherever they are. A good example is during the last basketball tournament, uh, I was talking to a guy who was watching, you know, March Madness on his on his uh, Android phone. Yeah, and he was just sitting in a bar, had his phone propped up, and watching it on his, you know, three twenty by four eighty display. <laughs> yeah, you know? and yeah. so and so why, uh, if I can do that, if I can be anywhere and watch it. You know, it just seems like the it just seems like that's the that's the logical path. The one counterpoint I would give, and the re- the reason I think there will remain a display on the wall, is uh, outside of uh, you know sporting events and maybe some uh, uh, you know news coverage of some big world event, uh, has to do with movies. Uh, people, I think, will still have their little movie studio in the home thing. That's the yeah, only. Other I agree. Thing. I agree. Home cinema. Yeah, but outside of that, uh, you know, most of the content, uh, you know, just in time content, like watching March Madness while you're on a train or whatever, where you normally wouldn't see it, you know, three twenty by four eighty is definitely better than uh, not seeing it at all. So I yep. think that'll cover those areas. Um, yep. I agree. Anyway. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I think there's. Uh, I think the f- it'll be interesting to, to me to see the future, in particular, of advertising, uh-huh. um, and with uh, with certainly any new internet company or any new media company, I think starting to shy away from buying, seeing TV, TV commercials as the primary way to reach millions of people. Yeah, when you can have a you know if you've if you've got the right person or the right three or four people talking about your idea on Twitter or Facebook, you're going to hit, you're going to reach multiple millions of homes just, just like you would, you know, if you run that ad on the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, in, a, in a more effective way too, because you see uh, some companies, some, usually it's a car company that comes up with some ad and uh, during the course of some show, you know, I fast forward through that same exact ad four or five times. Does that really yep. help them? Like, why don't they do what the uh, the Old Spice guys did? Made you know twenty different ads, all you know low budget kind of things with a guy catching a fish and all these different uh, scenarios, uh, him being cool basically, and yep. then run like never run the same thing twice. Why why wouldn't that be a a better way to do it? I mean, you know, to, the, on the other hand, you see a, a move back to uh, Walter Cronkite era when. Uh, the news arrow is brought to you by Colgate or whatever, and he's got a thing of tube of Colgate <laughs> right there on his desk. You know, the product placement. You're seeing you're seeing a lot more product placement uh, type of stuff in TV shows and and certainly in movies. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's the I think the future of it is is somewhere along those lines, and and I think the I agree with you that I don't I don't see the value in I like those I thought those Old Spice ads were great because it made, it made you stop and watch. Totally. And, and more and more than that, they provided a, a spot for you to go online and keep the conversation going. Yeah, and I think that's the that's where it, that's where it goes from here. Is here's a here's a taste. Now go to this URL and let's all let's all get let's get that conversation. Yeah, it's more it's more holistic, and, and you know, yeah, it's just uh, the fact of the matter is, television advertising was broken for so long 
that, but you know, here's the thing. Of course, Google turns around. You see this uh, TV ad they did uh, about this little kid that was born, and and uh, the dad makes a uh, Google account and sends her a first email, and all this, you know, taking pictures and using the different, uh, you know, YouTube for video and blah blah blah. All the different Google. So, do you see this thing? I did not. You didn't see this. Thing. Oh my word! Well, you're gonna have to check it out. I think it's called Sophie's uh, World. I'll have to check uh, that out. You have to. So, but it, the, it gets to the point where uh, I think it's a little creepy. Um, that always seems to be the phrase that comes in. I was thinking the same thing while watching uh, Google I/O as well. Creepy, like you got you've got these people and they just uh, you know it's too much. Like, did you ever think about the fact that this is a little you know not even one year old little person that you're cataloging every single part of their life in the cloud that i mean does that not ever like raise a register it seemed to me like just a really kind of creepy way to do it and i got the same feeling from watching the google io thing yeah Um, i think you're right i think there's uh there's a boundary that people are gonna have to figure out there's people that will do everything you know from the day they're born they'll put the video of the birth online that day and they'll be you know but i you know we've uh in terms of that sort of stuff i think we've tried to find the kind of middle ground where our kids have access to all that stuff and can have their own email they have their own domain but we don't let them run buck wild i can tell you that yeah sure so anyway Good stuff. Anyway, definitely. You know what we need to do? I don't know what we need to do. We need to talk about Indiana Jones. Do we? We do. Absolutely. Listen to the music. Come on. (laughs) Okay. Indiana Jones. So you know what? We poo-pooed Temple of Doom 1984 last time. Uh, We said, you know, ah, maybe we'll skip. You know what? This is this is a great. It's a great, still a great film. It's very dark, and I don't like it. And I, I will admit, I skipped some parts of it. But uh, there, there. I mean, you watch this movie for the mind chase scene. Am I right? Yeah, no, there's no, no question. Oh, it's just fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, so this was a prequel to uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, the reason they made it a prequel is because they didn't want to have the Nazis as villains again. You, right. You, you could argue that their choice for villain was far worse, but, uh, you know, they decided not to do it. And of course, in, in the next one, The Last Crusade, they, they jump back to the Nazi theme, which I think worked really well because it was a clear bad guy. Um, apparently, this film, uh, Temple of Doom, offended many, and they were, uh, I think they were, ca- they were kicked out of shooting in India, and they moved to Sri Lanka because, uh, because the government didn't like the script. They, they thought it portrayed... Uh, you know, Indian too negative of a light, and I can understand, you know, why they why they did that. Um, this was uh, so Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the the, the first one, Raiders, uh, turned down this script because it was too too dark. Kate Capshaw stars in this. Uh, they had 120 auditions, which one of which included uh, Sharon Stone, uh, but uh, Kate Capshaw won it, and uh, some wonder why she married Spielberg in '91. Yeah, that might be why. Yeah. Might have something to do with it. A L- little bit, little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, to me, the the uh, you can hear her saying that indie oh all through the movie. You know, uh, it makes you want to stab yourself. It does. She, you know, the thing is, she was like this fawning uh, uh, character, damsel in distress, that was always uh, kind of you know out of touch and not ready for anything. I I greatly prefer Marion's character from the last movie. Yeah, the um, chick that uh, I she mean, she could that, drink a fat man under the table. 
That's right. And she punched somebody out. Shoot totally. people and all that. There was a lot of whining. I, 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 it was that was tough. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't Agreed. handle it. Yeah. They don't make movies like this anymore, though, because the action, you know, the action is real. It's not computer generated. It's like they use some tricks for, with perspective and and stuff, but everything is kind of done in physical space. So it's much more compelling. Um, you see Marion like smack somebody, and you know it's pretty believable. Matter of fact, she actually did punch Harrison Ford, you know, actually uh, in a couple of those shots. Anyway, it was still a dark film, you know. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny. I was uh, I was reading a quote about uh, about Kate Capshaw in this movie, and yeah. <clears throat> and uh, uh, she referred to herself as not much more uh, than a dumb screaming blonde. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty accurate. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Remarkably prescient. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but of course, they did put in a tri motor again, the Pan Am tri motor. Big fan of that. Yeah, huge yep, fan of that. Yeah. Of course, India's flying, which is pretty hilarious um, because, of course, he is a pilot. But he says, you know, oh, I don't know. How hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, left in an airplane without any pilots kind of flying over the Himalayas or wherever they were. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just all comes down to the chase scene for me. Minecart scene, fantastic. And yeah, it was, uh, that was, uh, that was one of a kind. Incredible. Apparently they went to, uh, Disney and, and a couple of different places and rode roller coasters and, and watched how things, you know, how, how they made things scary on roller coasters so that it would, you know, be scary in the film too. Um, it is some interesting research on that. But again, you know, the, I got to say the, the sound is fantastic in this film. Yep. It just is. To all of them, you know, they're really good. Anyway, we shouldn't really keep talking about this one because it's an old, uh, it's a movie we don't like. Uh, but That's the one right. we do like, 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Love it. Um, so he, he returns to this upbeat film. It completes the, the trilogy. So he had, a, he had a commitment with George Lucas. Uh, and so he made this one. He said to apologize for the second one. <laughs> That's funny. I can believe that too. But I think the the second one was roundly booed. Yeah. Uh, there just it just wasn't. Uh, you know, the first one. It's hard. It's kind of like I think the the only trilogy I can think of where the second one was outdid the first was probably The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, in Star Wars, I thought The Empire Strikes Back is probably the best Star Wars movie ever made. I would agree. Um, but outside of that, I can't think of any other example, at least in this kind of genre where, uh, where the second movie was better. And in this case, it was far worse. Yeah. Yeah. But they made up for it with the third one. They certainly did. This was originally written by Chris Columbus, who's uh, the screenwriter on uh, a screenwriter on Gremlins, Goonies, Young Sherlock Holmes. It's funny because you know, like he's he's uh, uh, all of those movies sort of follow, in a sense, the same kinds of themes. Uh, it's the somebody who's uh, you know kind of powerless, put in a in a, a situation where where the world is set against them, but they persevere in some way. It's very interesting how a lot of his films are sort of similar. Um, he also did Home Alone movies and Mrs. Doubtfire and a couple of the Harry Potter movies. Um, but he, so this guy, so they was, he originally wrote the thing, but he didn't actually, it, his script didn't actually make it to the screen. Uh, he pushed this Monkey King thing. I don't know if you've read about this, but it's this big thing there. Went back and forth on a couple of films, the first film and, and this one about doing the Monkey King thing. You should read about it online if it's a long, crazy story. 
Um, but finally, uh, Menno Mays, uh, who wrote The Color Purple and Empire of the Sun, uh, did the screenplay. Actually, uh, uh, Menno did uh, Martian Child. Do you ever see this at John Cusack Films, Very like 2007 or something? I did not, although I, I'm a, uh, a huge John Cusack fan. Yeah, totally. It's very interesting. It's this kid that thinks he's from Mars. And, uh, and I forget if he was adopted by John Cusack or, or whatever, but it's just a fascinating film. Really, it's, it's all Cusack, you know, your, yeah. your typical yeah. Cusack, but, but really good. Anyway. Yeah, my, my, uh, my, one of my favorite John Cusack films is, uh, what's the one where he's, uh, he's in Detroit? Um, oh, the, uh, the, um, uh, he's high school. He's going back to his high school. That one. Yeah. 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 Gosh, um, I can't, I remember the name of that. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Forget it. That's a great film though. I agree. Totally. Gross point blank. Gross point blank. Fantastic yep. movie. That, that film I think got me into John Cusack films really? as, as like a John. Yeah. Because his sister and, and I, I don't know. I thought that really kind of set me up because I, I kept going back to that. I had seen say anything. It was oh, Cusack was right, but it didn't have his mark. That one did. You know, oh, and then you, you didn't, you, you tell me you didn't, uh, you, I mean, 16 candles. Oh yeah. No, no, no. All of those. Right. But I don't think those are Cusack films as much as they are teenage coming of age, you know. Yeah, I guess films. so. That was Anthony Michael Hall was the bigger star yes. in those movies. Yes. And yeah. but Cusack was the runaway, you know, just nugget of gold in those movies because of where he went later on. Then you go back and you watch some of the, you know, say anything and 16 candles and you're like, wow, there's that. Yeah. You know who else was in, we're getting way off track. That's all do right. You, do you know who else is in uh, say anything that, I do. that blew me away? Jeremy Piven. Is that right? Yeah. He's in there. They're like, it's one of Cusack's friends and they're kind of ta- They're kind of rapping or whatever about where, what he's going to do or, uh, you know, whatever John Cusack's problems were in life. One of the guys there's Jeremy Piven, who, of course, you know, becomes Ari Gold in, in uh, Entourage. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I but... would, blew me away when I saw it because I watched this film like a year and a half ago. And I watched that. and I'm like, no way, Jeremy Piven. Yeah, is... say anything. I mean, the, the, uh, you got the boombox scene from that movie. That's it. It's Just, that scene. I mean, it's, it's iconic. Oh, no. Yeah, no, it's before that scene. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's iconic. It's it's fantastic. So who else do we have in this movie? John Ray's Davies, who is he plays Sala in uh, Last Crusade. I'm getting back to Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought I thought the guy for me, uh, one of the most interesting characters in this film was River Phoenix yes. at the at the start of the film. Totally. Uh, because uh, as you remember, uh, not long after this, um, he started getting into some fairly deep water. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And uh, but I thought he was fantastic in this movie. Yeah, I thought so too. And he he uh, he died shortly. He died in '91, I think. Yeah, I, I remember it being a year or two after this movie came out, or something yeah. like that. I don't remember, but I just yeah. he was really good in that movie. Yeah, he was. It was sadly OD'd outside the Viper Room, which at the time was owned by Johnny Depp in LA. Yep. Just sad, sad loss there. Yeah. Um, but do you know, I, you know what I thought? So they, this is another Paramount mountain movie. You start in the beginning, you know, you got the Paramount mountain, it fades into something. And then interestingly, the reveal of Indy, whom you think is this guy stealing Coronado's cross is actually not Indy, but the kid is Indy. 
that's guess right. maybe that's revealed earlier, but I, I thought that was interesting because in the other two films, it was always Indy's back for a while. For the first minute of the film, you didn't see Indy's face. That's right. And in this, he was revealed being the young kid. So I yep. thought that was an interesting kind of way to do it. Yeah, and I and that and you have the theme in this movie where, uh, you know, you kind of have the uh, uh, the the way of starting the movie where it starts out with Indy back in you know teaching at the university, yeah, and you know somebody comes up and talks to him about this interesting thing and come to find out his dad's been kidnapped, and uh, because they're trying to find the Grail and his dad is this expert in the Grail, uh-huh. uh, but it has that same you know the beginning is very tame. Yeah. Um, you know, very intellectual, and then it just explodes from there. They just uh, light a fire on you. It's fantastically because actually, if you watch that, that the fact that his dad is missing is the last piece of information. The uh, you know millionaire philanthropist, whatever guy who turns out to be the bad guy, uh, gives uh, Indy. That's the last thing he says. Oh, and by the way, you know your dad is the guy that's. That's missing. right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Which yeah. just lights it up, and then you want to see action, and then and you get it. You know, it just dives right into it. Yeah, uh, this is compelling right from the start. You know. Yep. And I like the uh, I like the uh, the guys in this movie um, that are that are sworn to protect the Grail. Yep. Um, I like that those guys kind of coming in and out of the film uh, at various points and times and being willing to die to defend the location of the Grail and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, and showing up on both sides too, fighting against Indy and fighting against the Nazis. Yep. Which I thought was interesting. Another thing in the the circus train sequence, where I got to go back to the beginning. The circus training sequence where they they set up all of Indy's, you know, kind of uh, uh, neuroses with the snakes and all. I mean, he didn't hate snakes or anything to begin with and, uh, you know, suddenly he ends up in a pit with them, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that they set up, which I thought was really interesting, was when he gets in the, the lion car. You know, he's, he's on his back and he sees the, the, the uh, whip on the wall. So he grabs the whip and he cracks the whip. Yep. And it bites up his chin. You know, yeah, put, that's right. Brilliant. Because here, uh, you know, Harrison Ford, when he was 20, he got into a car wreck. His little Volvo, he ran it into a telephone pole. Okay. And he, he got this cut, this permanent scar on his chin. And right. that's how they explain it. That's interesting. I didn't know that. That's it's, good stuff. Yeah. It's, it was really just fascinatingly well done. I don't know. The, the other thing that I think is really kind of interesting if you look from the outside is the whole 007 thing because you think Sean Connery who used to be 007 totally in control of everything would be more than just the guy that sat on the chair with his his bag and his umbrella oh yeah I told so they turn it they turn him into a buffoon They, they do they turn him into like this intellectual that you know, can't do anything. But then, of course, he does do the thing with the birds, and he scares the birds yep. into the props yep. of the. Yeah, oh, he's going along the beach. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but I thought I thought that was uh, I thought that was really funny that they turn, you know, a guy that's always been this, sh- this yep. you know, swashbuckling in any movie he's ever played that yeah. I can that I can remember. He's always been, you know, whether it was Hunt for Red October or, you know, or do you have any of the Bond films or. Uh, any other movie he's been in, he's always been the guy that had it together. 
Um, and in this film, he's just this guy that can't get out of his own way, but he happens to have devoted his life to, uh, you know, to finding the grail. And, and, uh, so he's the guy that knows all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a, what a change though. They, they did, uh, keep the, the elements of him, you know, being a suave ladies man. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the movie, which I thought exactly. was, that was clever. So yep. clever. Yeah. Anyway. Cause that, yeah. you know, that guy in, in real life. That doesn't happen. No, yeah. But right. uh, but they keep. Uh, it, it is funny. They keep enough. Of, they keep that element of it. That you know he is with the uh, the very attractive German uh, <laughs> lady, just like just like Indy ends up being. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I thought that's an interesting tie because you could say uh, you know Indiana Jones is you know the U.S. James Bond in a sense. Oh, I I, I agree. You know, I think I think so. you, you would consider him that for sure. Yeah, it's a good tie. Good yeah. tie. Yeah. yeah, and then and then so the end they go to uh, they go to Petra, um, you know the 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 final place apparently where the Grail is kept is inside this uh, uh, you know rock formation that is that actually is the exterior of uh, Petra in Jordan. Yep, um, Wadi Musa, where my my brother actually used to be uh, on an archaeological team that was working there, uh, so he used to go there all the time. We kind of walk through and see what's going on and. Um, the interesting thing is you go to this, you know, it looks like three, four stories. Matter of fact, there's, there's another story below the sand where you walk in the level you walk in. There's actually more to it below what you see, but you look at this thing and you, you come in, you think it's this enormous cavernous thing and certainly portrayed in the film. You know, it's, it's almost like an enormous church or cave or something like this. It might be 15 feet deep. Is that right? Yeah. It's tiny. It's like, there's nothing there. That's interesting because yeah. yeah, and from all the camera shots in this movie and any other movie you see, that's this grandiose facade. Yep. And you think that okay, well, it must go back into this rock, you know, hundreds of feet. Yeah, you think uh, so, right? But there's two things. So the the camera shot, you'll notice there's never a straight in camera shot. Yep, they always shoot from the side and from the ground. Right, and that's because you can't, because it's actually in a wadi, which is a you know an old dried up riverbed. And mm-hmm. those walls there, you know, they're, they're not more than, you know, 40, 50 feet or whatever from the other side. So you right. can actually back up and you can take a shot from the top down sure. uh, and you can climb up there and it's, it's pretty cool. But, but you can't, you know, back up and get that. The other thing they did, which I thought was clever, is when the, uh, uh, you know, you chose, you chose poorly, you chose wisely, you know, and then the, the cup comes rolling out and you see it go past the, uh, the symbol or, yep. and, and the ground breaks and, and they go running out. You see this cloud of smoke coming out of the Petra facade. Yes. Yep. I wonder how they did that. Yeah, I because. don't know. And I wonder if that was, you know, it's, I wonder if they actually did that or if that was just sort of, anim, you know, uh, CGI or they whatever. Had, they had to do that. It, yeah. I looked, they had to, I looked pretty closely at that. Yeah. So it, it, it was really cool. And I thought the, I felt like going back to our discussion the, in the, about the first movie where, you know, there's sort of this uh, pagan theme running throughout, but at times, uh, they do well to honor the sacred, yes. and I felt like that scene, yes. uh, the scene in this movie where you know you've got the guy, the you know the millionaire that's he's been on a quest for the cup, and he and he comes in, and he has no idea 
what to look for. Yeah. He's got this room full of cups, and this guy is, it's all about the money for him. It's all about the power. Yeah. And so he picks a cup with, uh, you know, diamonds and, the most you know, beautiful one. yeah, the most beautiful cup. And, uh, and then you get, you get Indy who says, you know, well, Jesus was a carpenter, and this looks like the cup of a carpenter. Yeah. Um, and so you have this, again, you have this theme of uh, kind of reverence and, you know, uh, and appreciation for the the sacred part of the story. Um, and, you know, you've got this knight in there who's been in there for hundreds of years and, <clears throat> you know, knew the day would come when somebody would find it, but, uh, you know, and make sure to tell Indy that the you know the cup can't leave can't pass the seal, mm-hmm. um, or the thing explodes. And turns out that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought I thought again, just uh, it was another instance where they do a great job of uh, of just sort of tying in the history of the artifact they're going after, yeah. uh, and appreciating its its place in history. Yeah, they set that up too, and a couple of other places. You know, only the penitent shall pass. So he he kneels down, yep. and then he has to take the leap of faith. So he yep. steps out onto exactly. that bridge. Yeah, yep. they they set that up. I thought they did that really really well, actually. Yeah. Um, in previous, I, I, I think it's great where you know you've got Sean Connery laying there with a bullet hole in him. Yeah. You know, and he's you know he's whispering, "Only the penitent shall pass." Only yeah. The shall pass. <laughs> and you got Indy trying to figure out, and it's it was it was just a gripping scene. We watched. I watched this movie again probably three weeks ago and I was and as enthralled it was like I'd never seen it oh yeah yeah I knew totally. it was I knew it was coming but it was like yep. I'd never seen it yep yep they just built well and they they the tension you know of having Indy's father dying out there uh you know just kept the pressure on uh, it was just well well balanced I thought in that respect um very interesting because I think earlier they had decided that uh uh or one of the earlier scripts had there being two cups in two different places. One was, I forget what one was. The other was like in Africa somewhere. They were supposed to be the fountain of youth. You drink from it and you, you live forever. And that was supposed to be the, the draw. And I, uh-huh. I, I think it was so smart to do the same thing they did in the first film, which was go after uh, you know, a religious artifact and yep. make that be the, the, you know, so there can obviously only be one of them. Right. Um, and kind of make that be the thing, as opposed to the the three stones or whatever it was in in Temple of Doom. Yeah, um, I agree. Yes, really well done. Anyway, so here's the deal. I can't wait for the Adventures of Tintin, uh, the new the new film, the Tintin movie, Secret of the Unicorn. You hear about yep, this? I absolutely have. Cannot wait. Interesting thing about that movie releases in the United States December twenty, I think third, two thousand eleven, something like that. Uh Releases pretty much everywhere else in the world in October and November, before the U.S. The U.S. is the last to get it, which I think is kind of appropriate, given nobody really in the U.S. really knows Herge and Tintin. But that's that's coming up. Uh, Really looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah, it'll be be interesting to see a movie that is getting this much uh, PR run uh, you know, debuting outside of the U.S. because traditionally, you know, well, I guess as you said, it makes sense. You've got it's a well, it's a Belgian. The character is based on a Belgian, yeah, Belgian or French. I can't remember which. Belgian, uh, yeah. But uh, but I think it's uh, it'll be uh, it'll be, and I think it's it's that goes to a larger issue uh, that we can talk about sometime about the U.S. being 
uh, is the U.S. losing? So here's uh, here's something for both you and uh, the folks listening to our podcast to think about: Is the U.S. becoming um, the you know not second second class, but rather is the U.S. Uh, influence dwindling in importance uh, in, in these kind? Of, yeah, waning. That's a great word. And then the second part is: Can the U.S. survive? There's never been a, a society in history that has been pluralistic and survived. Yeah. And then the question is, can the U.S. Uh, be the first society in history or the first people group in history to uh, be pluralistic and be able to survive the, you know, the internal conflict that that brings? Uh-huh. Very Something interesting. About. So that, that'll be next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we talk about Wall Street like we were supposed to talk about it today. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Wall Street. Next time, Wall Street. It will be. So, uh, so I guess that's it for today. Um, yeah. Uh, next week, uh, look for another 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 show. Uh, we and hope you're enjoying the show. And please leave uh, honors, comments. Yeah, please leave comments on the on the blog three fifty dash third dot com. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback or things that you would like for us to talk about or subjects you find interesting. And uh, if, there's, uh, if there's anything you can think of that would make the show better, we'd love to hear it. And um, that's all I've got, Andres. Do you have anything else? Absolutely. Yeah, search for us on uh, iTunes. Uh, search for 350 space third, T-H-I-R-D, on iTunes. And uh, click write a review and leave us a review. Be honest. Go easy on us. And this has been 353rd. I'm your host, Anders Brownworth. And I'm your host, Scott Barstow. Till next time.